Today on the Matt Wall Show, crazed LGBT activists at a, at a Texas university go insane, shouting, screaming, stomping, and spitting because a campus speaker said that we shouldn't castrate little boys. This is the state of the university system in our country. We'll talk about it and play some of the footage, which you have to see as well. Also, Ron DeSantis provokes widespread media condemnation because he told some kids they don't have to wear a mask. He's right, of course, as usual. Plus, a handful of Republicans refused to sign a congressional resolution in support of Ukraine. We'll look at their reasoning, and you can decide if they were right or wrong. And Ukraine has found a way to deal with looters. It's a strategy that I think we should probably think of adopting. In our daily cancellation, a Hollywood icon is in trouble with the mob because he didn't like Hollywood's latest gay western. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Dealing with finances is just not an enjoyable experience, no matter what. But what I can say is that when I see my expenses decrease and my savings increase, that is an enjoyable and rewarding experience unto itself. I've been saving hundreds of a month thanks to American Financing, who helped me refinance my mortgage. I've been able to put more money away towards family vacations and other financial goals that we have. With interest rates being so low, it would be a mistake to not at least give them a call and check this out. Let American Financing help you so that you can have more fun and you can enjoy your life a little bit more by saving money. You can take advantage of a free mortgage review where a salary-based mortgage consultant will help guide you through all the different refinancing options available to you. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. Just a simple conversation about custom loans that will help you achieve your goals faster. If you start soon, you could skip up to two payments and you may close in as fast as 10 days. If you want to get the savings and get it fast, all you have to do is call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711 or visit AmericanFinancing.net to refinancing your home today. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, NMLS, Jeff Younger is a business owner in Texas and now a candidate running for the Texas House of Representatives. You may recognize his name if you follow a select few conservative media outlets anyway, because he's been uh, locked in a years-long custody battle with his wife, Ann Georgilis. Now, at the center of this dispute is their now nine-year-old son, James. Ann says that James is really a girl and, uh, and she wants to transition him. You know, she found out that James really has a girl magically trapped inside him. And so she wants to uh, do the transition. In fact, she has long since begun the so-called social transition, dressing him in girls' clothes, giving him a girl's name, Luna. Now, Jeff fiercely opposes this plan, as any sane and loving parent would, and has been fighting for custody so that he can prevent the further psychological and physical abuse of his boy. Ultimately, Jeff lost the fight tragically. And the courts handed custody over to Mommy Munchausen. So Jeff is now running for office because he realizes that the only way to save his son now is to see to it that childhood gender transitions are legally outlawed completely. Now, to that end, as we talked about last week, Texas has gone part of the way. Um, the governor recently declared that the medical transition of minors is child abuse under state law, under already existing state law. And any adult participating in or facilitating the practice should be arrested and charged. Now, that's a, that's a good step, and it's an important step. But as long as this barbarity is not officially and specifically outlawed, it will still happen. The governor can only do so much on his own. The ACLU is sued to block Abbott's directive from going into effect because, of course, the ACLU cares deeply about protecting the right of adults to butcher, drug, and castrate children. What this means most likely is that the whole matter will be tied up in the courts for the foreseeable future. Um, the Texas legislature has to act, and that's what Jeff Younger is calling for, and that's why he, he uh, is running for office. And it's also why he held an event at the University of North Texas last night. 
to discuss this issue and explain why, in his view, child transition should be criminalized. Now, the event drew controversy from the moment it was announced and uh, when flyers started going up around the campus last week. Uh, last week, the president of the university, Neil Smatresk, responded to complaints over the flyers by condemning them, the flyers, not the complaints, as intolerant. In a campus-wide email, he said, quote, I know the last several days may have felt particularly difficult for the transgender members of our community due to the intolerant views of a handful of campus members. We have a variety of resources through our Division of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access to support you during your time at UNT, and we hope to offer you a safe place to heal and grow your support system. So, the president of the university, after scooping the LGBT complainers up in his arms, patting them on the back, swaddling them, assuring them that everything will be okay, the poor babies, he did finally affirm, though, the right of Jeff Younger to come and say his piece. But he also accused Younger of, quote, challenging the very existence of trans people. So the stage was set. The irrational beliefs and attitudes of the radical LGBT leftists, leftists had been affirmed and legitimized. And that led directly to what happened last night. Younger came to give his talk, as scheduled, and all hell broke loose, in quite a literal sense, in fact. As many of the protesters appeared to be demonically possessed, outside of the event, um, an enormous pitchfork mob assembled, demanding that the, that the event be shut down. We have some of that footage. Let's watch that. Okay, so you see a pretty good crowd there. But they didn't settle for remaining outside. If they had just done that, then, you know, whatever. But they flooded into the room and shut the event down themselves inside, preventing Younger from presenting his case. And they did that by chanting and screaming at him the entire time. Listen to this. You can practically smell that room from here. Truly a collection of the greasiest and foulest, ugliest humans you're likely to ever come across. And they weren't satisfied to keep their tantrum purely verbal. Uh, at one point, in response to younger misgendering someone in the audience, i.e. gendering them accurately, somebody stood up on the desk and spat on him. Watch. I just hope Jeff got his rabies shot. That's all I can say. Now, when I watch all this unfold, a few things come immediately to mind. First of all, um, modern college leftists are apparently going to barbers who use weed whackers and chainsaws. They go to like the landscaper to get their hair cut. The, the worst haircuts I've ever seen, all in one room. More importantly, um, I may have to pay a visit to this school. You know, bullies like this should not get what they want. What they want is to make sure that nobody who opposes them ever shows up on their campus again. They're trying to send a message. 
What they ought to get instead then is, you know, me. If you're affiliated with the conservative group on campus there, please reach out to me. Maybe we can set something up. Most importantly of all, though, I think are, are three points. Now, first of all, to echo something that our very own God King Jeremy Boring posted this morning in response to this, you are a fool if you pay to send your kids to college. You are paying, paying exorbitant, back-breaking sums to have your children turned into that. You're paying to have them brainwashed. You are sending them into the most expensive cult commune in history where their mind and soul will be eaten and inside the shell that was once your child will be placed a blue-haired lunatic beholden to a worldview so irrational and fragile that he'll melt into a puddle if somebody even so much as mentions in his presence that men have penises and women have vaginas. You are paying for that. You are asking for that to happen. You are going into debt to make that happen to your kid. Now, sure, there are some exceptions. There are a few good schools left in, in the country, a few. And there are plenty of kids who go into these environments and they come out with their minds and souls somehow still intact. I meet students like that all the time at my events. But the odds are stacked against them. And most are destroyed by the experience. It's, it's just not worth the risk. It's not close to worth it. It's definitely not worth paying $100,000 for Two, notice that when I outline the horrors of the modern university system, I do not say that the kids who graduate from these institutions can't get jobs. That, that's not one of the things that I list. Now, it's true that a lot of them indeed cannot get jobs, but we make a mistake when we point to all the tantruming, tantruming uh, gender studies majors in that room and scoff and just assure ourselves that, well, the, the real world will catch up with them. They're going to be unemployed, living in their mom's basements, rejected by society. Certainly, that will be the case for some of them. Certainly, it should be the case for all of them. But it's not the case for all of them, not even most of them. The scary thing is that, in fact, they do get jobs. The real world will not catch up with them. I hate to say it. Because they are going out and redefining the real world. We are living in a culture and a country increasingly shaped by people like that. Those kids in that room, that's your next generation of teachers. Those are university professors. Those are human resource managers at Fortune 500 companies. Those are diversity consultants. They'll take their blue hair over to a, a nearby middle school and help to keep this self-perpetuating cycle of crazy going. In other words, those kids become this lady. Let's talk about gender roles and talking about them in the classroom. So this last week, as you all know, was Valentine's Day, and this is what my students discussed through the week. Wow. It wasn't the first time they were talking about the gender binary. We already talked about pronouns. We had talked about girl and boy stereotypes. We had named those stereotypes. Talking about access, we've been talking about trans rights. Recently, we've been having discussions about power and dynamics of power in our society, which leads right into social norms, which leads right into the gender binary. Our discussions were amazing, y'all. This is my thing. Out of those discussions, we ended up moving into self-love because I realized so many of my students were already looking at themselves and at their bodies and even at their gender negatively. This to say that the gender binary is constantly harming us day to day. Only a few people gain power from it. Everyone else is trying to conform to the societal norms. This harm, as we're already seeing, starts at a young age. Uh... 
I, I like to clarify, I, I said lady. I'm not exactly exactly sure about that, actually. Um, now, that person ought to be unemployed, clearly, but isn't. That person is teaching your kids. One more point. Um, if it wasn't already clear to you, hopefully that video, well, that video we just played, and especially the clips of the university, wakes you up to the fact that there is no soft soft peddling. You know, there's no diplomatic, nice, or polite way to engage with these people. What they need are bullies. They obviously were not bullied nearly enough in grade school. Maybe if somebody had punched them in the mouth in seventh grade, some of this could have been avoided, but instead they've been coddled their entire lives while also being brainwashed. The only way to stand up to this and to respond to it is to be an even bigger bully than they are. So if you're on the side of truth, of biology, of protecting children from being butchered, castrated, and poisoned, you know, of basic moral decency, then you should project unwavering confidence and strength. They're all in that room screaming hysterically because Jeff Younger doesn't want to have his son castrated. Okay? They spit on him because he doesn't want to have his son castrated. They're posi- they are so upset about that that they, they want this guy dead. They hate him because he doesn't want to have his son castrated. Their position, their worldview is the most twisted, evil, insane thing any of us have ever come across in our lifetimes. That's how bad it is. That's how it should be treated. With contempt and derision. If somebody is arguing for the right of plastic surgeons to amputate a healthy 14-year-old girl's breasts, and you're treating that argument with even a modicum of respect, you already lost. Now remember something. When we engage with the crazies, we're not just engaging with the crazies, or even primarily. We're really trying to reach all of the basically sane people who are on the verge of getting caught up in this madness. You know, they may lack the philosophical grounding, the mental toughness, the courage, whatever else, to withstand the tidal wave, of, uh, tidal wave of insanity that pummels them constantly. There's a lot of people in that category. And our first job and our, and our foremost job is to send a message to them that it's okay to be sane. It's okay to be normal. And, and you don't do that by lending validity to insanity. I think what our country needs now, desperately needs, is the truth. Told directly and loudly and without apology. That's our only hope. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, finding great employees in today's world isn't the easiest thing to do. Um, I've had so many listeners write into my show telling me how hard it is to get quality employees to show up for an interview. And even when they hire, a lot of their candidates don't even show up for the job. So if you're struggling to find quality candidates for your job opening, I highly recommend checking out ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter uses a powerful matching technology to match candidates with the right experience to the position that you need filled fast. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job so you're going out proactively and finding the people that you need, and that's going to encourage them to apply faster. ZipRecruiter's technology is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. If you use ZipRecruiter, you can even find candidates that are as hardworking and dedicated as uh, my producers who help me make great content daily and who also write the copy for these commercials, as you can tell. So try ZipRecruiter today and find great and dedicated employees today. You can 
Try their powerful technology for yourself for free when you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh to find your new favorite employee today. All right. So, um, by the way, this will give you an idea of just how boring I am. A couple of days ago, I was talking to my daughter about Lent, and um, she was telling me what she was giving up for Lent, which I think she said candy. So we'll see about that. But then uh, she asked me what I was giving up, and uh, I said at the time I still hadn't decided yet. I was trying to decide, and she said, I know what you can give up, Daddy. Uh, you, you could give up buying socks. You love buying socks. And this is how my kids see me. Um, and as I, as I head into middle age, this is how I'm seen. My greatest passion in life in their eyes, the thing that they define me by, is that I like to buy socks. And you know, the even sadder thing is that she's right. And also, I realize that I, I can't give that up because it would be too hard. That's a cross I can't bear. I mean, I'd have to cancel my monthly sock subscription, first of all, because I do have a monthly sock subscription. I can't do that. And the idea of just wearing old socks for a month and a half is just horrifying to me. Let this cup pass for me. I, the, the sacrifice is too hard, too great. Um, okay, the, uh, something interesting happened last night. The media briefly moved away from Ukraine because they had bigger fish to fry, and that would be Ron DeSantis. Apparently, they say Ron DeSantis was, uh, was mean to somebody um, about masks, God forbid. He, uh, he bullied some students because they were wearing masks. That's, that's the claim anyway. You know, he was speaking at a school, and uh, they were standing behind the podium in masks, and he bullied them. That's, that's how it's being reported. And it's big news. I mean, this for, for a moment anyway, this even knocked Ukraine out of the, out of the, the, the top of the news cycle. But that's the way it's being reported. Let's watch the actual footage, and uh, you can decide for yourself. Let's see it. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. All right. Well, it's good to be at USF. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I listened to that, and what I heard, maybe I'm hallucinating, but I'm pretty sure I heard him say, if you want to wear it, fine. So the way that this is being reported is that he forced the kids. He said, you can't wear the mask. He ripped it off their faces and lit it on fire right in front of them. Now, I would have liked it even more if he had done that, but he didn't. He actually said, it's fine if you want to wear it, but you don't have to. Um, and he was exactly right to do that. He was exactly right. And we'll talk more about why he was right in, his, uh, in the way he approached this in a second. But before we get there, so as I said, the media latched on to this. And uh, before you know it, we had um, the local NBC affiliate. They were outside of this event and they were pulling parents aside, the parents of the poor victims, the children who were told they didn't have to wear masks. Um, they were pulling the parents aside. The parents were lining up to you know, use this to get some attention and to make themselves the victim, to make their kids the victim, but primarily themselves. And so here's one mother. And you'll notice uh, uh, there's a certain disparity here. It's not exactly symmetrical because you'll notice a mother and, and one of the kids standing here and the kid's wearing a mask. The mother is not, not wearing a mask. And yet she's very, very upset that her son was told that he didn't have to wear one. Let's watch this. I'm responsible for him. And I told him to wear that mask. And Governor DeSantis, and he's looking at this adult authority and, and he's telling him, oh, you didn't have to wear the mask. What was your reaction when you heard the governor tell you and your classmates, remove your masks? Um, a bit of surprise and shock, more of, okay, this, 
authority, authority this authority figure is asking me to do something that I know is probably going to end up being controversial. So I took mine off. Did you feel pressure by the governor to do that? Mm. Um, a little. It was more of a pressure of an adult figure asking me to do something, and it's just like, all right, why not? It's just shocking that the governor told these kids, take off your mask. It, it, he pretty much said, take off your mask is stupid, and take off your mask. Your parents don't matter. Even though I'm, I'm telling you, parents matter, and he's telling my minor child to take off his mask, he's putting us at risk. So, uh, oh yeah, to I was upset, very upset. Putting you at risk, huh? What a terrible mother this, this woman is. She's just a terrible person and mother. Terrible. Putting you, you're, you're parading your kid up there as some kind of political prop so you can get attention. Claiming she's, he's putting us at risk. You're not even wearing a mask yourself. You're the one who is, if anyone is most at risk of COVID, it's you. You're older. You appear to be, uh, you know, overweight. And so that puts you in a higher risk category. Your kid's at almost no risk at all. You got him wearing a mask. He's, the governor's putting us at risk, she says, without a mask on. But that's just a great, uh, what a, what a, I, I could not have scripted it any better. If I wanted to demonstrate and illustrate the insanity of the way that we've approached COVID, especially as, as, as it pertains to kids, I couldn't have scripted it any better. Because she's not wearing a mask while she screams about how we're putting me put at risk. He's wearing a mask. And on top of it, she's using all these words like, it was shocking, horrifying. My kid was traumatized. And then you go over to the kid and he says, ah, you know, did you feel pressure? Um, eh, a little, but yeah. he didn't care at all. You can see in the video, that kid is, is one of the ones you see in the video taking the mask off. And he smiles when he takes it off. He's happy to have the thing off his face. He's only wearing it because his mom is forcing him to. Speaking of Munchausen by proxy, we got another, another Munchausen mommy here. Only reason he's wearing it, he was, he was thanking God that he uh, could take it off. And you notice what he said. It was actually, it was actually very interesting. He said that um, he was hesitant to take it off. Not because he thought that he would die if he took it off or, or that it was uh, unsafe. He said that it would be controversial to take it off. That was his reason. You know, um, so this kid is not stupid. Unlike a lot of those kids we saw in the, the video at the Texas University, very stupid. This, this kid isn't. So he, he, it's pretty clear from what he said. He knows that he's not at any great risk here. But it's controversial just in the sense of the way people will react to it. And he knows, and what he didn't say, but you could kind of fill in the blanks because you see his mom there. It's, it's controversial for him at home if he takes the mask off. I mean, there's only two ways of looking at this with that mom. Either she knows that the mask um, is not necessary and forces him to wear it anyway, just as a virtue signal, using her kid as a prop, or she thinks the mask is necessary for her own safety. But she doesn't want to make the sacrifice of wearing it because it's uncomfortable and all of that. And so she forces him to do it for her. Either way, no matter how you slice it, this is a terrible mom. 
Uh, I think we got another video of a, of a, of a parent complaining. Let's, uh, this one at least is wearing a mask. for. Uh, he, he's, he's putting in the effort to put on a show here. He puts the mask on, and here's what this parent says. I would tell them to stop bullying kids. Um, it's fine if you don't want to wear a mask, but encourage others to do what they feel is safe. And, and we'll leave it at that. I was thinking, I don't know if I should take it off or leave it on because the governor, he asked to, to take it off. But I thought about it, and it's my right to have my mask on. His mother tells him to wear the mask. I tell him it's his choice. So he made that choice, and the governor has no right to tell no kid or no one who they can or can't wear a mask. He doesn't have that right. He didn't tell him they can't. He didn't say that. I mean, am I am I losing my mind? Did I again? Am I hallucinating? He didn't say you have to take it off. And, but there's another kid who doesn't care, doesn't care about this, but uh, his parents are forcing him to pretend that he cares. You know, next there's going to be the lawsuit or something. We're going to get uh, who's that? that the lawyer um, who repels down, you know, after any kind of police. Ben Crump. Ben Crump's going to be on the scene. I guarantee you, that guy's going to be there. And there's going to be some kind of a lawsuit or something. That's what's happening next. But Ron DeSantis, um, he was exactly right to, to do what he did. And I would even say, I would encourage anybody out there, um, this is, we, should, we should all take Ron DeSantis' lead and, uh, and do the same thing. Um, if you see a child wearing a mask, you should go up to that child and say, you don't need to wear that. There's no reason for you to be wearing that. Your parents are maybe forcing you to wear that. Uh, they shouldn't. They're wrong. Because all of these kids are victims of Munchausen by proxy. They're, they are victims of abuse. And uh, what they need is some sane adult to tell them that, no, this the air is not toxic. You're not going to die if you take it off. People are not toxic. It's okay to show your face. Not only okay, you should. You know, you have a right to show your face. You have a right to see other people's faces. None of the adults around you are wearing them. You can take that off and you'll be fine. So you should say that to, to, to every kid you see wearing a mask. Absolutely. For their sake. Because they're being abused. Um, and as for adults who still wear masks, you should just point at them and laugh. And mock them mercilessly. Because that's what they deserve. You know. You see an adult wearing a mask, you, you paranoid freaks. You look ridiculous in the mask, you idiots. That's the, the appropriate response to adults. But the kids, who again are, are, are being abused and being forced into this, um, that's not what you should say. You should, you should respond just like Ron DeSantis did. I thought there was a lot of uh, generosity uh, of, of heart and spirit in the way that Ron DeSantis went about that. Because he's concerned for those kids and the way they're being abused. All right, um... Let's go to this from PBS says the U.S. House has overwhelmingly approved a resolution steadfastly, staunchly, proudly and fervently in support of Ukraine. Lawmakers said Wednesday that history was watching the way the world responds as Ukrainians fight to save their Western style democracy from invasion by Russia with intensifying urgency. Many in Congress said more must be done to help Ukraine and cut off Russian President Vladimir Putin's ability to wage war. Uh, in the Senate, Lindsey Graham was also introducing a resolution that would back Ukraine's claim in the international court that Putin and his cronies have committed war crimes. And so they all signed this resolution, um, or almost all of them did. And this is a day after uh, many of them, Republicans and Democrats, as Tucker Carlson pointed out in his monologue last night, which was excellent, 
you know, Republicans and Democrats showed up to the State of the Union with their, you know, draped basically in Ukrainian flags with their Ukrainian lapels and, you know, all the different kinds of uh, Ukrainian apparel um, and accessories. But what you notice is that many of them actually took off their American flag lapels and put the Ukrainian flag on. Now, there were some of these Congress members who had both, um, but many of them, again, including plenty of Republicans, they were, they, had, they were not wearing any American flag at all. They took it off to put the Ukrainian flag on instead. This is something you will not see in any non-Western country. Okay, You go outside of the West and you, you, you free yourself from this, from this unique particular sickness that, that, we, that, that many people in this country suffer from, where they think that, that uh, you know, patriotism for our country is wrong, but we can be patriotic for other people's countries. Go outside of that. And you're not going to find you know, uh, politicians of other countries taking their own country's flag off and, and wearing another country's flag. So after that bit of virtue signaling, they put this, um, this declaration together and they came out in support of Ukraine. Now, a few Republicans did not sign. I think there were three Republicans who said, I'm not going to sign it. One of them was Thomas Massey. And Thomas Massey is, you, you hear me mention him kind of frequently on the show because he's one of the good ones in, in Congress among Republicans, one of the only good ones. Um, and he's intelligent and also has moral and intellectual courage. And that is in very short supply among our leaders. And so he didn't sign it. Is it because he supports Putin? He's a, he's a stooge of Putin. He's a, he's a secret Russian agent sent here by Putin. Is it that, or does he have reasons, intelligent reasons, to not sign something like this? You don't have to agree with those reasons, by the way. But I'll read, he, he put a, a Twitter thread out there where he explained his reasons. You don't have to agree with them. But if you, after I read this to you, if your takeaway is that he's a stooge of Putin, then you're just a very stupid person, and it's not worth talking to you. Because whether you agree or disagree, you have to at least admit, if you're an intelligent, rational person, that his reasoning is reasonable. So here's what he says. I fully support the right of the people of Ukraine to self-determination. However, there are many reasons I could not vote for the seven-page resolution that passed the House of Representatives today. The resolution contains an open-ended call for additional and immediate defensive security assistance. This term is so broad that it could invite, that it could include American boots on the ground or as some of my colleagues have already requested, U.S. enforcement of a no-fly zone. It expands the geographic scope of the U.S. commitment to the conflict in Ukraine by condemning the country of Belarus. We should not be seeking to name new enemies or committing to overturning other governments. It calls for fully isolating Russia economically. This would hurt low-income U.S. citizens who are already reeling from inflation. Innocent people in Russia, many of whom oppose Putin's aggression, would suffer under crippling sanctions, possibly turning them against us. Crippling sanctions could also drive Putin to become more desperate, inciting him to resort to drastic measures such as escalating the weapons employed or the people targeted. The resolution contains a gratuitous statement that Ukraine and NATO will determine the relationship between the two of them. Of course, this is true, but why should Congress assert this now when the goal is to de-escalate the conflict? And finally, it calls for continuing support for for continuing support as long as the Russian Federation continues to violate Ukraine's sovereignty. Depending on the definition of violate, this could be a U.S. commitment to forever be actively engaged in a conflict with another nuclear country. Those are his reasons. 
uh, sounds per- perfectly rational to me. And I happen to agree with them. And again, I'm not saying that, uh, that every person who hears it has to agree with it. Um, maybe you could nitpick here and there. But at least what Tommy Ma- Thomas Massey did is, is he read the resolution, which is a step that I guarantee you most of these people didn't even do. So he actually read the language and he thought about, what does this mean? Do I actually support everything in this? And, and what about the implications I mean, he knew that the political calculation is because of all the war fever and everything right now and all in the propaganda and, and, and people are kind of um, caught up in, in, in it. The, the smartest thing politically is just to sign the damn thing. But instead, he thought, well, what does it actually say? What are the implications? Do I really support it? Yes, I support Ukraine defending itself, obviously. No, I'm not a fan of, of Putin, obviously. But do I support everything, all the language in this particular resolution? And he said no. Agree or disagree, you got to at least respect that. I mean, anytime a politician, even if I don't agree with them, anytime a politician is willing to take some kind of stand that's going to be politically unpopular, but because they're trying to, you know, do what they actually think is the right thing to do, um, I'm always going to be impressed with that. I'm also impressed with this. Um, Meanwhile, over in Ukraine, this is. Uh, reported by The Blaze, Ukrainian citizens have allegedly taken to publicly shaming those who decide to take advantage of the war-caused chaos to do a bit of looting. According to Ukraine's correspondent, one enterprising citizen who decided to take advantage of an understaffed store chose to buy something there without money. The looter was unlucky. He was seen by local residents. They called the police to the place. Uh, The arriving patrol found the marauder without pants and taped to a pole. So, okay, here's the guy. That's, That's the looter. I guess other citizens saw this guy looting, and so they taped him to a pole, and they pulled his pants out and taped him to a pole, just kind of like public shaming thing. This is also sort of the Spider-Man strategy of, uh, you know, you don't have the you don't have the, the the webs, the indestructible webs, but he kind of, you know, ties him to a pole, let the police show up. So that's what the Ukrainians did here. I think there are other. Do we have other uh, photos as well? Okay, there's another guy taped to a pole, public shaming. He's got a sign on. I assume that says looter or something like that. Um, and then here's these guys. Okay, these guys were uh, stripped naked. And they had, I, I assume, something like looter written across their bodies. Blindfolded and paraded through the street by concerned citizens. More people. T- those people are tied to poles with their pants down. So now for me, look, this is, this is a, still a little bit too lenient for me. Um, I would like it if I, you know, maybe, and I understand that that you know, the resources and everything are are not, uh, maybe don't allow for this. But in an ideal world, you would do this, and then you would also have a supply of like tomatoes and rotten eggs, which again, in a war torn country, they're not going to have that. But if we were to adopt this here, then you know, you tie them to a pole, put the sign on them, looter, and then you have. Um, you know, crates of rotten uh, uh, eggs and tomatoes and things. And people could come by, just have fun throwing them. And you keep them, uh, you keep them attached to that pole for, you know, a, a day, two days or so. I think that's a great strategy. Um, I really appreciate that. So well done, Ukraine. Imagine if we were to adopt something like that in San Francisco. Maybe not San Francisco. Now, I think, you know, the problem is in San Francisco, if you make them march through the street naked, they might like it too much. So some kind of public shaming mechanism is the appropriate response. 
And a lot of times that could be even uh, better than, yeah, you could, if you can send them to prison, that's also good. But public shaming is, um, is, is a real tool that societies have in their belt that these days we don't use anymore because we have this idea that you should never shame anyone. It's always bad to make people feel ashamed. Well, no. Actually, the equation is pretty simple. You should not shame people for doing things that are not shameful. Okay? And this is what we get wrong. This is what cancel culture gets wrong much of the time. Is that people are getting shamed for doing things that aren't shameful. Or shamed for doing things that don't really matter. You know, um, but if someone is doing something that is shameful, like looting is a shameful activity. To do it while your country is under siege and people are dying and you're taking advantage of that, that's shameful. In some ways, it's even more shameful because at least in that case, you can claim that you were desperate, you had no choice. I don't buy it, but you could claim that. It's even more shameful to do it in our country when we're not under any official military siege. And you're taking advantage of the fact that the police aren't enforcing the law. And you are victimizing and exploiting your, your fellow community members, the people who run these shops. These aren't, these aren't millionaires living on, uh, in mansions. 50 miles away. These are people in your community that you're victimizing. And yes, you should be shamed for that. It's a good tool that we should be using more often. Let's get down to the comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. Let's see. Steve Jobs says, yes, Matt, I'm an African. And yes, we still have common sense in this part of the world. We still can distinguish between man and woman without any difficulty. We still believe in the existence of absolutes. I personally think that the West has lost its mind. Well, that's good to hear, but you might want to you might want to keep it down a little bit because um, the more the more that you point this out, the more that the ideological colonizers um, among the left here in the West are going to say, "Well, we got to get down to uh, Africa and, and change that." Oh, they still believe in men and women down there. We got, we got to change that. And of course, I'm being facetious because the leftists already know that. And this project of ideological colonization is well underway in Africa and all across the world. Um, it's just that they run into uh, they run into problems because you know when you go to other parts of the world and you're talking to people who have not been brought up in our culture and don't at all have the same kind of framework that we have, and you go to them and you say something like, "Hey, you know that uh, if a man feels like he's a woman, then he's really a woman." That just doesn't mean anything at all to them. And so you have a lot of, you know, you have a, there's a lot of groundwork that the left has to lay in these other parts of the world, and they're trying to do it. And if they're not opposed and opposed passionately, then, then eventually they'll succeed. Um, cool Papa J Magic says, Matt, I absolutely understand your point about trans being a white Western thing specifically, but pointing out the hypocrisy of the regime does nothing. They don't mind being hypocritical and or contradictory. They literally have no problem with it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think that just by pointing out hypocrisy, you're going to... I, I don't think that when someone's being a hypocrite and you say you're being a hypocrite, they're going to say, oh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Uh, never mind. I changed my mind. That, that's not what, what's happening. Um, but there's still a value in pointing out intellectual inconsistencies, logical inconsistencies. And also, again, I go to what I said at the, at the start. Um, I'm not trying to primarily convince the regime. You know, I'm trying to reach all of the same normal people out there who are feeling bewildered 
and are caught up in this storm and are beginning to lose their sense of which way is up and which way is down. Those are the people that I think we're primarily trying to reach. I did accidentally skip right over the uh, the video comments. So because I'm I, I I I feel very nervous about the video comments now because McKenna's ruined it for for all of us, frankly. But um, okay, we'll play some of the video comments. Dailywire.com/slash Sweet baby comments. Let's start with um, this one that's on the screen. Go ahead. So that is that appears to be uh, okay. Yeah, it says right there on the screen. So my Doc Phil episode is being played in some kind of school. So look, I, like I said, not all schools are bad. Certainly not all teachers are bad. Um, there, there are still some very good teachers out there. And uh, I, I don't know. I feel about the good teachers the way that I feel about cops. Like the good cops. I don't know, I don't know how you do it in this environment, but um, we need people to do it. So I have a lot of respect for that. And um, that's great. You, know, you should play that episode. It, it is educational. Because it, it's also it's both sides of the argument being presented. I, I think that episode should be played in every... Um, in every classroom in the country. Um, because it's both sides of the argument being presented. And you can decide who wins. All right, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but let's go to clip 15. Hey, Matt, longtime listener here. I look forward to hearing your video comments every episode. And I have to say, the one that your producer McKenna picked out last week has to be one of my favorites. But I might be a little biased, so I understand. I would like to start a new trend. McKenna's Unite Against Matt's video comment selection cancellations. Sweet baby gang for life. Don't give me the sweet baby gang for life after that. Don't do that to me. I don't believe you, first of all. I just don't believe it, that you actually thought that that was, this is a this is a coordinated assault against me. And this is what I get. I try to bring other voices into this show, so it's not just me rambling the whole time. And, and I end up with this, with this conspiracy. It's outrageous. Uh, but there is some good news. Scott says, Matt, please shave your beard for a 900th episode special. No, that's not happening. And of course, you're banned for even suggesting that. But it is indeed the 900th episode. And I would be remiss for not mentioning. We've done 900 of these things. And I thought, you know, for real this time, this, this, is, this is real, okay? To honor the occasion, and I know I've, I've, I've uh, joked about this before and, and all of that, and it's been kind of anticlimactic, but to honor this occasion, because it's 900 episodes we've done, that's a big deal. Um, and so many of you have stuck, uh, stuck with us for, for, so many have stuck with us through all 900 episodes. I don't know why, but you have. And so to honor that and to honor you, I thought I would actually play the banjo for real this time. Absolutely for real. It's here in the studio with me. And, um, so let me go get it. Oh, I can't. I forgot. Yeah, that's a sheet. It's fake. I don't have a real studio. So I wanted to. I wanted to, but unfortunately, the banjo does no longer exists. It is now just a picture on a sheet, which is hanging behind me. Still, 900 episodes. That's a big deal, isn't it? Well, if you thought The Daily Wire was going to take a break from bringing you new, awesome content, think again. We're adding new content on what seems like a daily, weekly basis, and we're so excited to share our latest edition with you. So get ready for March 10th. That's the premiere of our latest film, The Hyperions. It doesn't follow the same old Hollywood-prescribed formula. It's a film that stands entirely on its own, and it's a totally unique thing. You can see that in the trailer. Check it out here. Good day, Hyperion Club members. We've come for one thing. 
are Titan badges. This Titan badge can grant an individual superhuman power. Perhaps it's time for someone else to take on the responsibility. On my way. She's trying to destroy me. So the Hyperions is a throwback superhero uh, meets dysfunctional family meets quirky criminals and it's 100% worth the stream. We'll be streaming the film once on uh, March 10th for all to see on YouTube. But after that, you've got to be a member to get in on the action. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe so you don't miss any more of the growing uh, cache of content that we have to offer. Also, it's um, no secret that wokeness has infiltrated nearly everything we use to enjoy, including sports, especially sports, really. And we aren't the only ones who are fed up. That's why Orlando Magic player Jonathan Isaac is publishing a book, The Daily Wire, about the rise of his basketball career, his journey into faith, and his strength to stand alone in the face of immense social pressure. This autobiographical, uh, autobiographical, there we go, account will give insight and inspiration to anyone looking to take the woke out of sports and also anyone just looking for inspiration to you know, stand and, uh, and speak the truth. The book is available for pre-order now at Amazon, so reserve your copy today. And finally, as everyone knows by now, The Daily Wire is rapidly expanding into entertainment. And with that expansion, we're searching for a council of business and legal affairs to join our legal team in Nashville as our in-house legal expert on the film and television industry. Um, the Council of Business and Legal Affairs will manage all legal aspects of The Daily Wire's entertainment content, including development, acquisition, production, and finance, as well as production, legal, um, and intellectual property work for all of the Daily Wire shows. We need someone with eight plus years of experience in the film and television industry. This is a perfect opportunity for an entertainment lawyer who's ready to get out of Hollywood's woke groupthink cycle and find new opportunities. So to apply for this and to view a full list of our current openings, including McKenna's job, which will be opening up soon at Daily Wire, please visit dailywire.com careers. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So this segment is not always a time for attacking, demeaning, and insulting people. Um, well, I guess it is, and really the whole show is, is that. But sometimes I do it in the context of defending someone. And that will be the case today. Sam Elliott is a Hollywood film legend, or as he's known to most people, the guy with the mustache and the deep voice. He's being canceled by the left-wing mob for some negative comments he made about a recent and critically acclaimed Western called Power of the Dog. Now, Elliott did not like the movie. He thought it was an insult to the Western genre. But before we analyze his criticisms um, of the film, I, I think we have to acknowledge sort of the elephant on the ranch here. Elliot is a veteran of the Western genre and an expert on the subject. He's also the star of 1883, uh, a Western TV series that just wrapped up its first season. But you could accuse Elliot, perhaps, of, of throwing stones in a glass saloon. And I'm going to keep with the Western puns and nobody can stop me. Sorry. Because 1883 is itself, as I mentioned on the show before, um, in insult to the Western genre. And the show starts strong. Sam Elliott plays an old, hard-bitten Civil War general who agrees to usher a group of hapless foreigners through the wilderness to the West Coast. A perfect setup for a series. How could anyone find a way to botch it? Well, botch it they did. Within a few episodes, the show had devolved into a woke teenage soap opera. All of the interesting characters were relegated to the background as uh, the plot increasingly revolved around a teenage girl pursuing her, pursuing her various love interests across the Great Plains. Of course, all the bad guys the group encounter are, are white. And when they finally run across some Comanches, the infamously brutal warriors were friendly and became their saviors and rescued them from one jam after another. Teenage girl promptly fell in love with one of them, like 30 minutes after her fiancé had just been murdered, by the way. And in the ultimate jump-the-shark moment, 
She and her Comanche lover kissed each other passionately while a tornado went right over top them. Meanwhile, of course, in true woke fashion, every woman in this version of the West is an independent, fierce, gun-toting badass. Even girls who had never held a gun before are still able to take down bad guys with one shot while riding horseback with you know the reins between their teeth. Perhaps worst of all, Sam Elliott's character devolved into a whiny wimp, constantly crying about everything. He was crying in the very first scene because his whole family had just died of smallpox. Now, I will allow an emotional display in that case. If your whole family dies of smallpox, I'll put that on the list of approved reasons for a man to cry. I mean, I'll give you like 10 minutes and then you got to wrap it up. But then he keeps crying throughout the entire thing. I was waiting for a scene where Elliot's character would break down in tears in the midst of an intense firefight, only to have a 13-year-old female gunslinger come and save him, you know, carry him out, carry him out of danger, cradling him like a baby. I stopped watching the show in the middle, so perhaps that scene did eventually happen. I also stopped watching before they introduced a genderqueer, pansexual cowgirl character. Cow them character, I guess. But I'm assuming that happened as well. All of that to say, Elliot shares some guilt when it comes to the destruction and feminization of the Western genre. Yet that does not make his criticisms illegitimate. As for those criticisms, Sam Elliott is in a lot of trouble with the peanut gallery because he felt that Power of the Dog was, as he put it eloquently, a piece of an artsy, progressive, boring attempt to deconstruct the traditional Western genre. Now, I can tell you that I tried to watch this movie myself before I really knew what it was about, because I'll automatically watch anything built as a Western. And I fell asleep 15 minutes in. So for all of its other faults, it was, in addition to being a piece of shit, incredibly dull and boring. It's also massively critically acclaimed, which shows why nobody cares what critics think anymore. In fact, a quick snapshot of some of those reviews can, I think, give you an idea of what this movie is all about. I just wish I'd read some of these before I wasted 15 minutes of my life on it. But reading some of the summaries compiled by Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it says, The power of the dog is a long-delayed contemplation on masculinity from the female eye, both about repression and control. And then, Benedict Cumberbatch is extraordinary in this subversive and spellbinding Western exploring masculinity and its oppressive impact on society. And Campion, the director, weaves the erotic, the gothic, and closeted homosexuality together into a beautiful yet tragic mosaic about internal gay struggles. I actually sat down to, to watch that movie, uh, un, un, unbeknownst. So there you go. It is a Western which seeks to deconstruct the genre by offering a subversive psychodrama about closeted homosexuality and toxic masculinity. I think that gives some context to Eliot's criticism, which you can hear here. There was a full-page ad out in the L.A. Times, and there was a a review, not a review, but a, a blurb, a clip, yeah, yeah. And it talked about the uh, evisceration of the American myth. Huh. And I thought, what the? F what the? F what does that this mean? This is the guy that's done westerns forever for his whole life. The evisceration of the American West. I mean, they made it look like, what are, those, what are all those dancers, those guys in New York that wear bow ties and not much else? Uh-huh. Remember them from back in the day? Oh, the Chippendales? Yeah. Yeah. That's what all these cowboys in that movie looked like. Uh-huh. They're all running around in shaps and no shirts. There's all these illusions of homosexuality yeah. Yeah. throughout the movie. Yeah. I think that's what the movie's about. Yeah. Well, what does this woman from who jane campion yeah 
She's a brilliant director, yeah. by the way. I love her work, <laughs> right. previous work. Sure. But what the f*** does this woman from down there come Oh, New Zealand. New Zealand. Right. Know about the American West? And why in the f*** does she shoot this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana? Now, leaving aside the fact that Sam Elliott seasons all of his sentences with a, a sprinkling of 14 F-bombs, his basic point is perfectly valid. And he's been condemned as homophobic and bigoted and closed-minded and all the rest. But it's a valid point, first and foremost, because it's his opinion, which he was asked for. This is the game we play in our society now. Somebody has asked their opinion about a given topic, and they give their opinion honestly, and then they're condemned because it wasn't the right opinion. You know, if you don't, if you don't want to hear someone's actual opinion, don't ask for it. Elliot was asked, unprompted, if he'd seen this film and what he thought of it. Was it his moral obligation to lie or was it his moral obligation to simply have a different opinion? Is he required to like a homoerotic Western about the dangers of masculinity? Yeah, that's really the point for the left, isn't it? If somebody makes a movie with progressive themes, especially gay themes, it is your responsibility to enjoy the film and say so when prompted. You can't even pretend to like it. You have to actually like it or, the, or you're canceled. But that's not how opinions work. You know, it may surprise folks on the left to hear this, but not everybody wants to see traditions deconstructed all the time. Almost every Western these days is a deconstruction of traditional Westerns. All aspects, really, of traditional American culture are constantly being deconstructed. In fact, this is so common that now you might say that deconstruction is our culture, our anti-culture. So that by deconstructing culture, you're now simply participating in it. So actually, the most subversive kind of Western these days would be a traditional one. One where the good guy beats the bad guy and saves the woman. A Western celebrating masculinity rather than eviscerating it would be truly subversive and traditional. Subversive because it's traditional. That's what Sam Elliott wants to see. That's what many of us want to see. There's nothing, there's nothing shameful about saying so. Final point. Elliott takes issue with the fact that a foreign woman is making a Western. I mean, what does she know about the American West, he asks. Well, you could point out that foreigners have been making Westerns for a long time. That's where we get spaghetti Westerns from. Yet, Elliot has a right to this complaint because isn't this exactly the sort of complaint people on the left always make about films these days? They say that if you're white, you know, you can't play a non-white character. If you're not in a particular group, you can't portray that group or make films about them because you can't relate to their lived experience or whatever. Now, I think this is a stupid criticism, which is why I also personally don't have a problem, per se, with foreigners making movies about the American West. But most of the people attacking Elliot for this point of view are, are in no position to attack him. He's only applying their representation logic consistently. He's making exactly the same kind of point about this film that they have made about so many others. They are just allergic to logical consistency, which is why they're lashing out. And it's why they, not Sam Elliott, are today canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. 
The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, casualties rise as Ukrainians continue to resist Russia's invasion. The DOJ will prosecute fraud and COVID relief funds. And how did Americans receive Biden's State of the Union address? Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire.